good morning again, Rock Hill. And it's so good to see you. If you have your Bibles, please open them up to Psalm 5. Psalm 5, if you're at home, Psalm 5 is where we're going to be today. A couple of announcements before we get to that place. Next Sunday, it's July 4th, national holiday. And on that day, we're going to have one service called United. We're going to be right out here on this parking lot to my left, your right. And there'll be a tent. You say, well, do I need to help upset the tent? No. Will there be chairs? Yes. Do I need to help set up the chairs? No. We'll have that all taken care of. But you can come, bring a dessert, bring a side, and we'll eat together. We're going to provide all the fish uh, for you. We're going to have fish fry, kind of old school a little bit, kind of call back uh, to later, uh, prior days. But uh, July 4th, right out here in the parking lot, uh, big tent. United, we'll have one service, and then we'll eat together, all right? So that's good. Uh, second thing, uh, if you probably saw in the foyer a bunch of kids, of course, but also by the kids' area, there's a bouquet of flowers. That's in representation of a little girl from our church who, this would have been her 10th birthday, but she went far too early from our time. Her name was Zoe. And of course, that was the inspiration for what we now have as Zoe's Place in Malawi, Africa. And so you can go by there, see the flowers. And if you'd like to make a donation today towards Zoe's Place, all those proceeds, all 100% goes to help feed orphans overseas. Now, that being the case, we had a group that just returned. We had a group just returned from Malawi, Africa on Wednesday night at 6 p.m. They're going to share their story. So we just say uh, thank you to the family for providing those flowers so we can uh, celebrate her, what would have been her 10th birthday today. Now, on to the text. Psalm 4 if you remember, was about how you go to bed. Some of you tested that on Sunday morning, but Psalm 4 was about falling asleep. If you begin to read Psalm 5, you begin to see that it's about how you wake up. It's amazing how the Bible will help us understand how we go to bed matters, and now we come to the place in Psalm 5 where it's telling us how you wake up matters. I don't know about you, and I don't want to give anybody some stress or anxiety this morning, but during the school year, it can be a difficult time waking up. It's amazing how our children know strategically when they need to be up, and they will delay as much as they can. I mean, most of us will find our tendency to hit that snooze button 97 times, and you all of a sudden wake up, and they've hit the snooze button 98 times, and you're delayed, and all of a sudden, that's typically when the child will bring up, by the way, I have a project due today. Well, how long have you known about this project? Months. When was the project due? This morning. So you're scrambling to get that together. Kids are crying because the OJ is gone. Dad drank it the night before. There is pandemonium. People are getting, trying to get dressed. Maxing, matching socks is a working miracle. And you're getting the kids into the car, driving them all the way to school. And it's not even 7.30. They're disheveled. Project's done. Pop-tarts in the mouth. And you get them there, right? That's not how we want to begin our day. And like we talked about in our last service, some of them, every day is Saturday but Sunday. And so they kind of wake up with almost nothing to do and their stress level is way down. The point is how we wake up, how we begin the day, how we start the day often will determine how the day goes. If your morning is disheveled, your day likely will continue to be disheveled, right? I mean, we've all walked out into the driveway with a flat tire and went, this is not how I wanted to start my Monday, right? But David here, having gone through some experience, 
he is singing. And in fact, I love what the text says. He's, he's singing with flutes, all right? So he's got a little jazz flute going on, and he's playing that flute. It's a psalm of David. It's about how to start his day. So if you're at Psalm 5, we're going to read all 12 verses. However, we'll just deal with the first three and a few other verses from the text. So if you're at Psalm 3, it helps us know you're there online if you type word. But if you're here in this room today, will you say word? Listen to my words. This is David speaking. He says, listen to my words, Lord. Consider my sighing. Pay attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for I pray to you. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I plead my case to you and watch expectantly. Verse 4. For you are not a God who delights in the wickedness. Evil cannot dwell with you. The boastful cannot stand in your sight. You hate evildoers. You destroy those who tell lies. The Lord abhors violent and treacherous people. Verse 7, but I enter your house by the abundance of your faithful love. Some of your translations say steadfast love. I bow down toward your holy temple in reverential awe of you. Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my adversaries. Make your way straight. Make your way straight before me, for there is nothing reliable in what they say. Destruction is within them. Their throat is an open grave. Flatter with, they flatter with their tongues. Punish them, God. Let them fall by their own schemes. Drive them out because of their many crimes, for they rebel against you. Verse 11, but... Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them shout for joy forever. May you shelter them and may those who love your name boast about you. For you, Lord, bless the righteous one. You surround him with favor like a shield. How you start your day matters. How you wake up in the morning matters. The process by which, the rhythms you take place, the, the practices you have, how you begin your days physically really does matter. But, but can I just tell you how you begin your day spiritually matters as well. In fact, I might even say it matters how you wake up physically, but it might matter even more how you wake up with the Lord. As I was reading other commentaries and commentators on this section and one of the best was Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon preached through the Psalms, one of the first ones to have it recorded precisely. And I'll be quoting him a little bit later on. But they will often divide this in five things that you should do in the morning or three things you should do in the morning. And so I picked four because I wanted to split the difference. Four things from the first three verses that help us know how we ought to start our day. The first one we see from David is that he comes to the Lord personally. Watch this. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my sighing. Pay attention to the sounds of my cry, my king, and my God. For, here it is, I pray to you. David comes to the Lord personally. David doesn't come to the Lord as some abstract thee and thou God. You remember that? I remember growing up and they would take the offerings because all these men would line up. And then one of the, usually a deacon would come to the, the mic, and I'm not slamming on our deacons, I love our deacons, but they would begin to pray in the King James. There's nothing wrong with praying in the King James, but they never prayed like that any other place but on Sunday morning at the altar over the offering. Okay. 
David comes to the Lord personally. He's saying, I, I, I'm co- Lord, here's my cry. Listen, give ear, give attention, pay attention. Please, please listen to me. Consider my, my sighing. Some translations say groanings. See, some of us, we don't end like chapter, our Psalm 4 ends with, I lie down and sleep in peace. We can't fall asleep at night. We have a difficulty falling asleep. And I just would say that the degree to which you have a difficulty going to sleep is often the degree by which you carry those burdens into the next day. So if we're unable to apply the principles of Psalm 4, you're going to be unable to apply the principles maybe of even Psalm 5. But David comes personally when you come to the Lord, you're not supposed to have a wall built up. The, the wall's down, but you come overwhelmed with your job or your family or your marriage. And all those things can build a wall up so you don't even want to get out of bed. As my oldest is often saying during the summer, I shouldn't have to get out of bed before 9 a.m. during the summer. Okay. Challenge accepted. And I'm not suggesting to you today that if you follow these four things or these four words that you're going to have some little measure of religion now and that's going to tear down those bricks. David understood, though, that he could come to the Lord personally. He says, listen to my words. Hear my cries. He comes to the Lord personally. He comes to the Lord honestly. He cuts to the straight in a personal way. All the pressures that he's facing, all the things that are mounting up in him, he comes to the Lord and says, I'm coming to you, Lord. Here's what's going on. If you look down into verse 4, he says, God does not delight in wickedness. The evil can't even dwell with the Lord. He's, He's saying that those that are wicked and those that are evil, they can't and they're not allowed into the presence of the Lord. That shouldn't be a surprise to us. God is holy, God is righteous, God is the judge, the great judge, and and there's no unholiness that can be in his presence. And you hear that and you go, well, I'm not wicked and I'm not evil, so I'm I'm doing pretty good. But let's just get honest real quick. Let's get, like I like to say, gut level honest. If if we really got gut level honest today, we'd realize that some of us walk around with a, a twinge of arrogance. Entitlement. I I deserve a seat at that table. I deserve that seat at that place at the table. I I deserve to be in that meeting. I deserve to be on that. Is this a little bit of arrogance? Is that not wickedness? Some of us have a spitefulness that we've embraced against other people. We, We already don't agree with their ideals, whether that be religious or political, but then we just transfer that from not liking their ideas to now not liking them. Spite. Some of us struggle with jealousy. We, we see what other people have, whether that be their vehicle or their home, and we want that. Or their promotion, we want that. Or maybe we observe their marriage, and we only know their marriage from a distance, and we want that rather than our own. Is that not wickedness? Is that not chasing after things that aren't honoring to the Lord. Then in verse 5, he says, the boastful cannot stand in your sight. You hate evil doers. This means God does not allow evil or wickedness in his presence. Then how can David, knowing David's story, how can David ever say, 
I get to go into the presence of the Lord. Look, look what happens in verse 7. You see this? This is verse 7. I enter your house by what? The abundance of your faithful love. This is critical. Some of your translations say steadfast love. Verse 7 tells us plainly, how does David approach personally the presence of the Lord? How can any one of us, how can David come into the Lord? How can David say, God, listen to my cry, listen to my pleas, pay attention to me, my sighs, my groanings. How can he do this on the account of the faithful love of God? It's not based on David's goodness that he gets to be in the presence of the Lord. It's based on the abundance of the faithful love of God that he gets to be in the presence of the Lord. That's the only way. God is rich in faithful love. God's not bankrupt. God's not having to borrow money. God's not having to borrow mercy and love. This is, this is what Paul says to the church in Ephesus. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, Watch what he does. He made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. Praise God that he allows us to come. Praise God that he invites us to come in. The only way you and I have access, the only way you and I have an opportunity to pray to God and he hears our prayers is the grace of God. Praise be to him. See, this is a gospel issue. If you don't have an understanding of the gospel, you'll miss out on the fact that you can approach God in a personal way. You don't have to come to him with these and nows or formal language. I'm not saying you need to be completely informal, but I am saying, hey, there's a sense here to be able to say, you can come to God as you are. The only plausible way you and I can come in for the presence of God is because of his great mercy, his faithful love. The Hebrew word here used is chesed. It's used some 250 times in the Old Testament. It's a word in the Hebrew that is dynamic where our English is a little flat. It's like going from black and white TV to 4K, right? It's a total difference. The word said means not just faithful love, although it does mean that. And we use words like mercy or compassion or grace or loving kindness we put those words together but has said is not merely an emotion has said is not merely a, a feeling has said is an action on behalf of someone who is in need has said is God who has made covenant with his people that he's going to take action on their behalf so here's what happened with David David was God's chosen chosen one and God has allowed David to have access, not because David was worthy and good and uh, of, of great value. Rather, David was unworthy, but God, because of his faithful love to David, gives him access in a personal way. David is saying, I can't come into your presence because of how good I am. I only can come into your presence because of your mercy, because of your compassion, because of your grace, for that is what gives me confidence to come personally into your presence. Here's how Paul said it to Timothy, a young preacher. 
for there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus, who, here's what he did, gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony for the proper time. Now listen, you don't have to be the sharpest knife in the drawer to understand what's going on here. If there is a separation between you and between God, there is only one who can make possible that gap to be bridged. And that one is Jesus. How can you today personally pray to God and he hear you? Jesus is the way. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, your access is restricted. He will even say, you want to know the Father? Look at me. You want access to the Father? You got to come through me. You don't have to be sharp as knife. You don't have to have all your, your elevator go up to the top floor. You don't have to have any of that to know. Jesus is the only way. He's the only mediator for you between man and between God. How can I come to the Lord personally and honestly and humbly? I can because of Jesus. Jesus Christ came on a, on a missionary trip. Jesus was in heaven, and Jesus came to earth. Hello, went on a trip. He came to earth. He was, lived the life that you could not live. He died the death you deserved to die. He was buried in the tomb that you were supposed to be buried in, but he went into that tomb, but he didn't stay in that tomb. You can't go see his dead body in that tomb. He rose from that grave, and then he appeared before others. Now, he didn't just do that. He appeared before others, but then he ascended into heaven. And because we believe the Bible to be true, he is one day going to return. You then now have access to the Father. So have you come to God personally this morning? Have you had a talk with him? I'm fine praying with you. I, I, I just want you to know, though, that we don't call ourselves priests reason you don't come and confess your sins before me and then I tell you things to do in order to resolve that sin if you come to me and confess your sin I will invite you to repent of your sin because the Bible tells us that all those who confess their sins repent he forgives them of their sins and cleanses them of all of their unrighteousness have you see I think I think a lot of us um, we have problems that are like laundry at our house we we have laundry and it must for for whatever reason it doesn't just automatically get clean and we call them piles i have piles of laundry and those piles go from one pile into a pile into this thing that makes them wet into this other pile that makes them dry and then they come out and they go back into another pile and we'll hide those piles when we have guests hoping they don't go into our laundry room. And go, ignore the laundry room. Just don't go in there. It's dangerous. There are piles of laundry, right? And you've tried to come up with all these kinds of tricks. Like, well, I'll just pile my piles of laundry onto the bed so that I'm forced to fold these piles. But all that happens is, is you me, me, meander somehow onto the bed and lie in such a way to where the piles now become your blankets. These piles are like our concerns. Do we bring our concerns to the Lord? Or do you just keep moving your piles from one place to another, to another, 
to another. And he says, just bring him to me. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my sign. Pay attention to the sound of my cry. How can, how can he listen to me? Because of his faithful love, he will listen to you. But he also does something different. He comes humbly. Notice what he says in verse 2. He says, my king and my God. David was a king who knew there was a better and greater king. David had a throne, but he knew there was an eternal throne. David had a crown, but he knew that we were going to sing, for however he knew, I don't know, but he knew that he was gonna, we were going to sing that hymn, crown him with many crowns. The lamb upon the throne. He comes humbly. David understood that he wasn't the cat's meow when it came to life. In fact, he will call God the Elohim. He says, my king and my Elohim. Elohim is a name for God. There's many different names for God in the Old Testament. But Elohim was the most powerful God. See, David had perspective. Humility is found when you have perspective. Arrogance is found when you lack perspective. So humility here comes and he says, ah, David could see 500 years ahead, 1,000 years, 2,000 years ahead. He could see into eternity that he was a king, but there was one who was going to be on the throne forever. David knew a couple of important things. He knew who he was and he knew who he served. Humility is found when you know who you are and you know who you Serve When I become overwhelmed with the criticisms or the pressures of life or the Twitter fights or the Facebook fights, when I get consumed with those things, I forget who God is, I forget who I am, and I forget what I'm called to do. Because what other people say about you should not dictate who you are. But what Jesus says about you should dictate who you are. He prays humbly. Is this not what even Peter will tell us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the, what, proper time? What does he say then? Casting all your cares before him because he cares about you. I think often we get these verses reversed. I'm going to cast all my cares on the Lord. But we've not come humbly. See, our culture says exalt yourself, pro promote yourself, platform yourself, brand yourself. Uh, pastors are doing this even today. I am the brand of this church. Burn. Christ is our brand. The gospel is our hope. I, I say this with all sincerity. I, I could legitimately not be here by the 11 o'clock hour and the church of Jesus Christ will continue to march on. As it should. We are killing ourselves with this kind of approach to exalt ourselves, but Peter tells us, just humble yourself. 
Humble yourself before him. Submit yourself to him. He, he cares for you. Cast all your burdens before him. He cares for you. But you ought to understand that there's a gravity to living before the Lord. Humble yourself. Realize that when you wake up and before you even put your feet onto the floor, whether it's on the right side of the bed or the left side of the bed or on the back end of the bed because you've got kids and dogs and clothes all around you, that before you ever touch your feet onto the ground, you are sustained and were sustained throughout the night by the sovereign hand of God. And so you ought to be able to wake up every day with a little cold glass of water and say, before I can even swallow this cold glass of water, I am being sustained by the sovereign and kind hand of the Lord. Before you can ever take that pot of hot water that you're going to manually, not through a machine, manually make your coffee. And pour that hot water through the, the filter and the, the coffee beans. And that coffee drips down and it's glorious and lovely. And it's so good to wake you up. Before that ever happens, God has sustained you. I think man has been tedious about reducing the size of God and increasing the size of man. And oh, if we want to change the world, humble yourself. That's how David begins his day. He says, pay attention to the sound of my cry, my, my king and my God, for I pray to you. But then he does a third thing. We see that he is, watch this, tenacious. You say, where's that word in this text? It's not. He's tenacious. He says, in the morning. Then he says, in the morning. In the morning. In the morning. In the morning. He's consistent, he's tenacious, he's constant, he's persistent. The first thought on David's mind when he wakes up is, hey, in the morning, I'm going to meet with the Lord. I'm not telling you you're going to have a quiet time in the morning, but I am saying that you ought to be talking to God in the morning. First thought on David's mind was the Lord. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I, I gather my case or I plead my case to you. All these threats he's facing, he turns those threats into prayers. Whatever you're walking through, whatever you're consumed with, God is right there ready to hear your voice. Don't let those pressures press you, press into the Savior. Here's what Spurgeon said. Prayer should be the key of the day and the lock of the night. Prayer should be the key of the day and the lock of the night. So let me just throw this out there, just a little tip. Just going to put it out there for you to consider. If you want to make your wife happy, men, do you want to make your wife happy? Yes, I'd like to make my wife happy. Why don't you initiate in the morning prayer with your wife? You want to influence your kids? Initiate prayer. I'll never forget getting to spend the night with grandpa, papa, or granddaddy and nanny. That was their names. Ed and Janie are their real names. And we'd get bath time. The only time I took a bath was at nanny and granddaddy's. Not ever, not ever again. We'd take a bath and we'd come into the living room and we'd sit down and he would initiate prayer with us. You want to talk about leaving a legacy? He initiated prayer with us. And then we'd, we'd go to bed, and my grandparents loved to, to, to take care of their things. And so my mom and my aunts shared a bedroom together. And so when my brother and I would go to the home, the same bed and the same bed sheet cover, comforter would be on there that my mom had when she was a kid. It was pink with tassels. 
And my brother and I would, in our manly way, lie in bed with this pink and tasseled bed cover in this white bed with gold crowns on. It was very feminine. We'd lay down and my granddaddy would come and he would tuck us in. I'd do the same thing with my girls. He'd tuck us in from our toes to our ankles to our knees all the way up to our nose. And then he'd get real close and he'd say, do not get up. (laughs) Praying tenaciously is opposite of how we treat a workout. I'm not cracking on anybody. My workout will begin next week. Or my workout will begin when I feel like it or like a diet now we're getting personal my diet will begin tomorrow is what we say or as my friend charlie used to say i want to want to work out and i want to want to have a good diet some of us treat praying like that we're not tenacious we're sporadic when it comes to starting our day correctly it's good to start your day in prayer and end your day in prayer it's better to come personally and humbly and tenaciously then sporadically. Lastly, we see in the same verse, he says, I come in the morning, I plead my case and watch expectantly. It shouldn't be a surprise to you that that would be one of the words that you should come when you pray is you should expect God to answer. Prayer is more than just sitting and vomiting all your words to God and then you feel better about yourself and you go on and get your coffee and tea or whatever you do in the morning. Prayer is not a method of relaxation where you just feel better after you get it all out like, uh, like you vomited something. When we pray, we should expect God to hear us. David did. He said, I expect, I'm going to watch expectantly for you to hear my voice and to answer that you would hear the groanings of my heart, you would hear the groanings of my marriage, you would hear the groanings of my, my, my kids and my, my job and our, our, our county. I may not get the answer I want, but it's going to get the right answer. David says, I'm going to watch expectantly. Can I just tell you there's probably two reasons why you do not get answers to your praying. The first one is because you never pray. Lord, God never answers my prayers. Well, are you praying? No. I don't believe you can answer them. That's why you're not getting any answers. But secondly, we don't stick around long enough for him to actually answer. We ask God to do something and we just go on about our day. We don't watch long enough. Here's here's what Charles Spurgeon said about this. Now, listen now. Do we not forget to watch for the result of our supplications? We, we are like the ostrich who lays her eggs and looks not for her young. We sow the seed and are too idle to seek a harvest. How can we expect the Lord to open the windows of his grace and pour us, pour us out a blessing if we will not open the windows of expectation and look up for the promised favor? Let holy preparation link hands with patient expectation and we shall have far larger answers to our prayer. No wonder our days often begin so badly. It's because we've begun in the wrong place. How do you start your day? My hope is that this week you would personally and humbly and tenaciously and and then expectantly start your day with the Lord. 
maybe you're not doing any of that this So my challenge to you is just do it for one day. If you do it for one day in the week, do it for two. You might have revival. It's amazing how the psalm ends. Verse 11, let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them shout for joy forever. May you shelter them and may those who love your name boast about you. For you, Lord, bless the righteous one. You surround them with favor like a shield. I want Brownsboro, and I want Chandler, and I want even Tyler, and I want Van, and Edom, and Ben Wheeler, even New York, both of them. I want LaRue, and I want Athens. I want all all the surrounding towns in our community to come alive. They can come to God. I want them to come alive to the fact that God invites them to come. Why isn't that happening? Why isn't it becoming rapid? I think the key is that it begins with you. Are are you personally coming to the Lord? Are you coming humbly before Him? Are, Are you coming consistently or tenaciously? Are you coming expectantly? I'm afraid that for many of us in this room, we're just at a place that we're just kind of getting by. No more. No more just getting by. Let's approach the throne of grace with confidence. Not in and of ourselves. Because of Christ who's made it possible. Will you pray with me? Father, we come now and Lord, I'm asking that those in this room who long to have an intimate relationship with you, but do not have it, would be bold enough to walk forward this morning and say, I want to trust in Jesus Christ. I can't approach the Lord personally because I don't know him in a personal way. I've been doing my own thing, my own way, my whole life, and I need today for that to be different. Some in this room, Father, are weary The piles of life are all around. But, oh, Lord, you call us to bring those to you. So maybe, Father, there's some that need to renew their commitment to bring those things to you. And by doing so, you don't abandon us, Father. You hear our cries because of your faithful love. And then, Lord, for some in this room, things are well. Would they see others that are in need and begin to pray for them? God, we thank you for this opportunity to respond in Jesus' name.